Heavenly Father, we are eternally thankful for the gift of your word. And though we may not read it as much as we probably should, and though we may not understand it as deeply as we might be able to, we pray now that as we read it, that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our understanding to verses that we've read hundreds of times, but we pray you would give new light to us this morning or, or help us to see it afresh. In your name we pray. Amen. This past week, I had the opportunity to go to church twice. How many of you would like to go to church twice in one weekend? It's actually really great. So we started on Sabbath morning. We went to the Knoxville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. That's where Kara is a member, and the pastor there is just really good. So I always just enjoy sitting in the pew and just enjoy listening to the sermon. And so that was just a reminder for me that every Sabbath that we get together, I got to give you guys the very best that I can, um, not, and obviously not just my very best, but also what God is doing through us, because it really does make a difference when we hear a good sermon. And then on Sunday morning, um, Kara's family, where she actually grew up, she attends a what we call a cooperative Baptist church. But what was really neat about this, and the reason I'm telling you this, is it, they're in, she's from a very small town, and her church asked all the, not all, but like four of the area churches to come together. And so they had this huge worship service. And what was amazing about it and what kind of helped scripture to come alive for me um, was that, that they did communion and so you have these different faith groups coming together to worship God, and then they do communion together. And it's just a reminder that we are a part of God's bigger global family. And so when we gather for church, it's not to be entertained. It's not for, for our souls just to be fed, but it's to be reminded that God is doing something through us. And the church is the body, the hands and feet of what Jesus is trying to do in this world. And so as we gather, we come to recalibrate, we come to worship, and we come to express to God that he is the only one that is worthy to be praised. And this morning, I want us to look at what a life of faith looks like. The title this morning is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And we're going to look at a verse, and, and um, when, we, when I set up the sermon, normally what I do is I either go a month or two or three months ahead of time, I send the information over to Genevieve, and then she kind of starts to plot the music and all of that stuff that goes with it. And I told her a couple of days ago, I said, listen, can you, as, can you make the service as sparse as possible? I said, let's sing as little as possible, let's cut out anything that we can cut out, because I'm going to need like 40 to 45 minutes worth of preaching, and I don't want us to go into like, you know, 12.30. So, <laughs> I know some of you are like, uh-oh. But the reality is, is, is there is just so much to preach, and, and so the decision that I feel um, was the best one to make is that instead of having one really long sermon, we're going to have three shorter sermons now, and so this morning we'll start with the first one. And the question that I'm really trying to explore through this teaching is the how of faith. What does it look like for us to live a life of faith? What does the Bible mean when we are called to live by faith? And so I want to begin by reading the verse that Greg read for us. And the book of Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In essence, what it's saying is that faith is this intangible 
this thing that we can't really know what it is or how to describe it, but it's this force, it's this energy, it's this thing that God gives us that allows us to believe in spite of not being able to see. You know, in the Western world where we live today, we need proof for everything. Isn't that true? That's something what we call like the scientific theory, which, which has only been around for about, f I want to say like 500 years or 200 years. Before that, people didn't need proof for everything or proof for their beliefs. When we look at the Bible writers, especially in the Old Testament, they weren't trying to prove that something was true or not true. They simply told stories because it was through the power of story, the power of the story of Jonah and Job and Abraham and Isaac. They had an oral, uh, an oral tradition where they continued to tell these stories because they knew that there was power in the stories. They told the stories, and we read scripture today because we believe that what God did once, God can continue to do again in our lives. But you know, we don't do very well here in America or in the Western world, as we call it, with uncertainty, right? We don't do very well with saying, well, I believe this, and other people will say, well, prove it to me. Show me that's true. And if you go into an argument with someone about trying to prove to them either the existence of God or that God is good, it's just going to be one of those circular arguments that just goes around in circles and around in circles, and you're going to leave that conversation frustrated and upset at, at, at that other person because, they, because we are just trying to prove our point. We don't do well with uncertainty. We need to know everything there is to know about everything. And when it comes to our relationship with God, you know, we want to know everything there is to know about God because we believe that if we can know more about God, then our relationship with God will grow and our faith will grow. But I would like to introduce to us this morning just a different way of looking at how we understand our relationship with God. I'd like to challenge us to think of knowing God more as a mystery rather than knowing everything there is to know. And I know that, makes, that may make some of you a little uncomfortable. I know some of you may be saying, no, pastor, we come to church so that you can tell us everything there is to know about God. We read our Bibles so that we can know everything there is to know about God. But I'll just give you one example of how we cannot possibly know everything there is to know about God. If you are married and have been married, how, how many of you have been married for, let's say, five years or less? Raise your hand. How many of you have been married for 10 years or less? How many of you have been married for 15 years or less? Okay, 15. How about 25 years? Anyone married here 25 years? Okay. 35 years? Okay. 45 years? I don't think anyone's old enough here to be married that long. <laughs> All right, so the question that I would ask for you is this. For those of you that have been married a long time, can you tell me that you know everything there is to know about your husband or wife? No. You can know their patterns, and you can know their character, and you can know a lot about them, but to know everything about them is virtually impossible. So when it comes to having a relationship with God, when it comes to knowing everything there is to know about God, it's impossible for us as finite beings to understand everything there is to know about an infinite and great God. It's, that's okay. 
that's actually a good thing. Because when we think of God as something that, although can be known, not everything can be known about God, it's good because it forces us to come and search and seek God that much more. You know, when we look at the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know about God. It just gives us enough revelation to begin to establish that relationship with God. The Bible could never contain everything there is to know. It's almost like the sun, and I've used this illustration before. You can, you can look up at the sun for how long? How many of you have tried to look at the sun? We all have. Because when we're kids, we're told not to stare into the sun, and we want to prove that we are the exception and that we can actually stare into the sun. I've done it, which is probably why I have something wrong with my, eye, with my right eye. But we try, and we maybe can look at it for a half a second or a nanosecond. Now, we can look to the left and to the right of it, and we can try to look in its vicinity, but we cannot fully grasp everything there is because the sun is just too powerful and magnificent for us. So God is like the sun. He is so much for us to fully comprehend, but God gives us enough. And it is with that enough that God gives us where our faith and our relationship to God grows you see, the scriptures, the Bible, is a gift that God gives us. It's not a book, you know, in, in, our, in, in our religion classes in college, they would often say that there's two different ways to look at the Bible. One of them is a, is a code book, right? Police have code books, and there's all sorts of codes for everything and different laws and different rules, and if you break them, then you're going to get in trouble. And so our theology professors would tell us that sometimes People see the Bible as a code book where it's just a bunch of laws and rules. But they would say that the Bible isn't so much a code book, but it's rather a case book. And a case book has stories. A case book has real life, real stories that are trying to teach us something that is so much deeper than we can ever comprehend without it. And so the Bible, God gives to us as a gift, as an invitation for you to put yourself into the stories of the Bible so that your faith can grow. You see, the Bible isn't there just to go and prove other people that they are wrong, but rather the Bible is a book of stories to give you faith to say that because God was able to do something miraculous in the past, then God can do something miraculous for us today. That's why our church gets together and prays in this garden of prayer. That's why we do that, because we believe that prayer, that when we pray, God listens and God will not forsake us. And so as we look at these stories in the Bible and the more we put ourselves into it, our faith continues to grow and to flourish. The more our faith, the more your faith grows and flourishes, the more your convictions about God grow. Now, the Bible, as important as it is, is the starting point for your faith in God. And the reason I say that is this. How many of you, can you imagine yourselves being in a relationship for 25 years, but the only thing you have of that relationship is the letter that was written to you by your husband or wife 25 years ago? Can a relationship be sustained by a love letter that's old? No. 
So you see, the Bible as a love letter to us is the starting point. It's what we can know about God. It's what's enough to allow us to, in a sense, in a sense to fall in love with God. But it is God in the very living present through the Holy Spirit that God continues to allow our faith to grow. Does that make sense? God is not just found in Scripture, but God is found in our present. God is found in the Holy Spirit as God enter, uh, enters into our world. And so the stories of Scripture help our faith to grow, but our relationship with God is fueled by the Spirit of God. So we find ourselves in these stories in Scripture, but the reality is, is that God probably doesn't act the same way that He does in those stories. The stories are simply there. And let me ask you guys this. I mean, we've done this before. We've all heard this, or most of us have heard the story of Gideon. And remember Gideon, God calls Gideon to lead this army, and Gideon says, okay, God, like, I know that's you, but just to make sure that it's you, what does he do? He puts out a fleece, and he says, if it's you, then this fleece or this, you know, this fleece is going to be wet, and the, the ground around it will be dry, right? And he does it, and, and God does that a couple times, and he's like, he, I'm still not convinced that it's you, God. And so he says, reverse it, make the ground wet and the fleece dry, and Gideon needs to have proof. And sometimes, some of us, I haven't, but I've been tempted to because I'm afraid of what the answer will be. But some of us have tried to do some of the things that in the Bible that it says there because we want to make sure that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. But remember, I want you to think of the Bible not just as this is the only way God's going to work, but it's that God will work. The stories in the, in the Scripture is to remind us that the God who has done miracles in the past will continue to do miracles in our present. And just to give you a real-life example, there's this picture. It's a, it's a dangerous sport, so I, uh, I'll give that caveat. But you see, this past Thursday night was the very first game of the NFL for this 2016 season, and it was amazing. As you know, I'm a Broncos fan, not just since Peyton Manning, but since John Elway in 1987. Okay, so I've been a fan my entire life. I'm not a fair weather. I was there for all their losses. But you see, this past Thursday night was really special because they played a team that they played in the Super Bowl last year. So it was this highly anticipated rematch of two powerful teams. And to be honest, a lot of the commentators didn't think that the Broncos could actually pull off this win because the Panthers were such a strong team. Not only that, they, they wanted to get revenge from their Super Bowl humiliating loss. But you see, as a fan, you say, no, I, I know that this team is supposed to be good, but we believe that because they played so well just months ago, they will also play well today. Isn't that true? How many of you have ever been fans of a team that was just terrible for years and years? Yeah, you're probably Raider fans. You know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's terrible. Bob's the... You... <laughs> We have a guy in our church, our head elder is a big Raiders fan, and I forgot he wasn't here today. <laughs> but here's what's funny. Fans of a team, and this is really related to how we understand God and how God works. When you are a fan of a team, even when the team doesn't win on a weekly basis, you still believe that your team can win. It doesn't matter what the stats are. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. It doesn't matter who's injured or who's quarterback. You still believe that your team can beat a defending Super Bowl champion. And our faith is exactly like that. 
God may not act the way you want him to act on a daily basis. And, and what I mean by that is you may not get the answers to the prayers that you want exactly how you want them. And sometimes God asks or makes us wait until we're ready for, for what God is about to do, for us to be ready and for us to be open to what God is doing. And so we continue to believe and have a conviction, even though we can't see God doing what we want him to. We continue to believe that God will act because God has acted in the past. Amen? So that's my, you know, I didn't get to gloat when they won Super Bowl last year because I forgot what happened. I don't know. I think I wasn't here the next week. But that's how God and the Bible works. He gives us these stories so that our, our faith can continue to grow. And so sometimes when God, we think of God, there is a mystery behind God. But the mystery is there to serve for one specific purpose, for us to continue to seek God. You keep reading, and, and so when we look at a mystery novel, and, and I'm just giving you different analogies this morning, and hopefully one of them will stick for you. When you think of God as a mystery, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, but we've all read a good mystery novel, or we've all seen a movie or a television show that's a mystery. And what happens when you're reading a really good mystery novel? You keep wanting to read because you want to know the ending. Now, somewhere in the middle of the book, you start making decisions about what you think is actually going to happen. I'm annoying like that. If you ever watch a movie with me, I start saying things like, oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. It bugs everyone, so maybe why I never have anyone to hang out and watch a movie with. But... And I'm never, hardly ever right. Like, I'm not always right. They trick me every single time. So, But here's the thing. We start to try to make decisions about how it's going to end. But a good story will always, will always have a small twist at the end. But the point behind this illustration is that when something is somewhat mysterious, we keep coming back to it. And when we think of God as somehow, sometimes mysterious... The purpose behind that is for us to continue to returning to God and return to the scriptures so that we can learn more and more about God. Mystery leads us into a posture of wonder and awe. There's a quote I want to read to you. It's from this book called Things Hidden. It says, Scripture as Spirituality by Richard Rohr, and it says this, if you are not trained in a trust of mystery and some degree of tolerance for ambiguity. So what he's basically saying is, if you are not comfortable living in this uncertain, mysterious way, right? Like you're not really sure what's going to happen tomorrow. We know what we want to happen, but tomorrow isn't guaranteed. So he says, unless you're comfortable with the uncertainty and the ambiguity of life, you will not proceed very far on the spiritual journey. Because faith is exactly that, being, um, believing that God will continue to be present and continue to act even in the midst of your deepest darkness and uncertainty. Faith is being sure and certain and assured that although we cannot know everything there is to know about God, although we cannot know everything there is to know about how God will act in our lives, we still choose to believe because God has been faithful in the past. So now we're going to go through a couple of Bible verses so that you can kind of see where all of this comes from. Verse 11, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
For whoever would approach God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seek him. What does the Bible tell us that pleases God? Faith. In other words, faith is our act of worship towards God. Yes, what we come and we do at church is worship, but how you live your life on a daily basis by having faith and by doing what honors God is an act of worship to God. You know, what's interesting about this verse, it says, for whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and God rewards those who seek him. Now, when the Bible talks about rewarding us for seeking God, it doesn't mean that he's going to reward you necessarily financially. It doesn't mean that just because you seek God that you're going to get the job that you want or the marriage that you want or the car that you want. It doesn't mean that you're going to get the raise. When the Bible writers talk about rewards, what what we see here specifically is that by seeking God, you will be rewarded by finding God. Do you remember when Jesus says, seek and you shall find? For the Hebrew mindset, for, for the, in the book of Hebrews, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, the act of searching God is the act of finding God and being in the presence of God. And we know that when we are in the presence of God, we are given all that we need. The reward is finding the joy that we have with finding and being in the presence of God. So let's look a little bit more I know I've been talking for a bit, but let's just look at a little bit more on what it looks like on how to have faith. It says, by faith, Noah, warned by God about the events as yet, what does it say? Unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. So what does it say? God warned Noah. God comes to Noah and he says something crazy is going to happen. There's going to be rain for so many days that it's going to flood the entire world. Right? That sounds impossible, right? Like, we have the story in the Bible, so we know how it ends from the beginning. So for us, it's like, well, yeah, we already know how that story goes. But if you were Noah, you, first of all, didn't know how it was going to end. I mean, you could have faith that you would know, but you couldn't really know. Not only that, he sets out to build this huge boat, this ark to, to, build, to, to hold all these animals and his family. And he was doing this probably in an in a environment that was desert that didn't see very much rain. And he does it even though he couldn't yet see what was going to happen. He believed and had faith that what God was telling him was true. Faith allows God to lead you through the darkness where God knows and I don't. This book was written, it's called The Dark Night of the Soul, and I don't know if you can see the, um, the subtitle, but it says, a, psychiat- a psychiatrist explores the connection between darkness and spiritual growth. For all of you who have gone through darkness, and what we mean by darkness is by difficult times. For any of you who have gone through trials and tribulations, who have experienced great forms of suffering, who have kind of reached that point in your life where you feel like, man, I have reached rock bottom. If you've ever experienced those, you realize that so often it is in those times that God shows up in magnificent and miraculous ways. You see, when we kind of, when it feels like we've reached the end of our rope, as, it's, as the saying goes, we don't know what the next day is going to look like. We don't know what the future is going to look like. All we know is that whatever we're going through is so painful and difficult that there is uncertainty and ambiguity, and we just want God to do something. 
And perhaps it's in those moments, and I believe the, script, the Bible writers teach us that it is in those moments where God has more opportunity in our lives. So if you, when the next time you go through one of those moments, it is in those moments that you can be open and know that God is about to do something miraculous. The next verse tells us this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that, was, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. Look, it says Abraham obeyed and he set out for a place. He left everything that he knew. He left his father's house, which was something you just don't do in the, when, in, during you know, the old Bible times, right, thousands of years ago. And he set out to receive an inheritance, and we can go over this another day. But he set out, it repeats it a second time. He actively does something even though he didn't know where he was going. Talk about faith. You see, it's not so much about where you work. It's not so much about where you live or where you move to. What matters aren't those things, but it's are you willing to obey and be faithful to where God is calling you to live? It's about trusting. Remember the first 10 minutes of the sermon about how the stories in the Bible teach us about how God has acted in the past? That's what Abraham was doing. He was taking what he knew about God, and he trusted that God was telling him the truth. By faith, Abraham received the power of procreation, even though he was too old. And Sarah herself was barren, which is like she couldn't give birth. She couldn't have any more babies because Abraham considered God faithful who had promised him. God promised Abraham that one day he would be the father of, of millions and millions of people. And Abraham, how old was Abraham when he gave birth? When he, when he had his first son? That's a miraculous there. How old was he? Do you guys remember? About 100? Is that what it is? I don't know. I don't remember. Terrible pastor, I know. But he was too old. She could no longer give birth to babies, and it was in that time that God acts miraculously. You see, sometimes God waits for things to feel impossible for us to truly know that it was God who acted, and it wasn't just coincidence or luck. As all of these died, now this, it gives examples of other people, right? But we couldn't go through all of them. But it says, all of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. You see, we think that faith is just supposed to, you know, we have faith and God works everything out and everything's perfect. But what the Bible teaches us about faith is that your faith doesn't determine how good your life is going to be. All that faith determines is that regardless of how your life goes and the difficulties you go through, your faith is that God is giving you his spirit and his joy. And regardless of what happens, you have the peace that comes from God. It says these people, these, these giants of the faith that we read stories about, we preach about them, they didn't get to the place where they thought they were going to go, but their faith didn't waver. So just because things aren't going the way you want them to, and even if things don't turn out the way that you hoped that they would, don't let your faith wane because faith isn't some superstitious thing we do so that then God can do good for us. Faith is, God, you are enough for us regardless of, the, of what life is going on around us. 
I just have a couple more, a couple more minutes, okay? Stick with me. You see, what has ended up happening with our spirituality and with religion is it's, we, it's taken on this tourist mindset. We think that we have to go to, to um, how did I write this down? Let me see what this says here. So here you go. Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate time. For some, it's a weekly church service. For others, it's occasional visits or to special services or conferences. You see, in our world, we, we think that religion and spirituality is about coming just to church. And, and so now we're at church, so everything must be better. But that's not true. That's superstition. We don't believe that faith is superstitious. Spirituality and your faith with God isn't just about showing up to one place once a week, but it's about the daily posture that you take towards God. You see, in our world, it's not very hard to get people excited about Jesus. People will give their life to Jesus and they'll be happy about it. But what people don't realize is that the life of faith is a long obedience in the same direction. Faith is about continually submitting your life to God. So I have, I'm going to skip over two slides. Don't worry, we'll come to that another week. Verse 15 in Hebrews 11 says this, If the heroes of our faith had been thinking of the land they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return to them. You see, these people, the, the, the Abraham and Noah and Moses and all of these people that we look to for our faith are people who leave everything they know and they set out to where God is calling them. And the Bible writers say that if they could have looked back, that right, it's like if they could have, if they could have gone back, they would have gone back. But if they would have gone back, they would have missed out on the blessing that God had for them. Let me give you one caveat before we close here. I had a friend when I was in seminary. I don't think he was in seminary. I think I don't. I don't know. He was studying something else. Uh, he was older than me. Yeah, he was one of these men of faith, and he read his. He would wake up before the sun came up. You know, because the Bible says that while, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went and spent time in solitude and prayer. So he wanted to be as like Jesus as much as possible. And so I admired him, and I thought he was a great guy. And and then you know, it doesn't matter what his name is, but I was like, wow, this guy's man. He should be a pastor. I'm terrible being. I don't wake up before the sun comes up hardly ever. You know, and so I was. I, I admired him. The more I got to know him, though, he had a very warped understanding of what faith was. I realized that he had left his family and children. Not, not like they didn't get a divorce, but like he had left them. I think it was in Jamaica because he believed that God was calling him to come to a place where he didn't know anyone, which at the time was Berrien Springs, and he was going to be a pastor. And I said, do you think for a moment that perhaps to be faithful to God is to take care of your family and to be faithful to God there? He says, no, but Abraham left. So you see, we have to be careful when we, when we speak of the story of Abraham. I'm not telling you that God is telling you to leave your place. But if God is calling you to do something, you must be faithful. Because if you don't do what God is calling you to do, you will miss out on some of the best parts of your life. If I have one more slide, we're going to read it. This last one, and we'll finish with this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so he's talking about all of the examples they gave in chapter 11. I didn't go through nearly half of them. 
But he says, because we have the stories of these people that have come before us, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. So he says, whatever is getting in the way of following God, you have to get rid of it. You have to get rid of it because it's going to get into the way of the life God has created you to live. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So basically, if we think things are difficult, Jesus had to go through the most difficult thing of all, which ultimately was death and a painful death. He disregarded its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. Faith is the conviction that God will continually be and walk alongside you. Even though you may not know what the future holds, even though it may seem like you are at the darkest point of your life and you cannot possibly believe that God will do something amazing, faith is believing in the midst of certainty, of uncertainty, that the one who promised, who is God, will be faithful to intervene and to do something miraculous. And just remember, it may not always be the way you want it to be. God seldomly acts the way we want it to be. We have such a limited and myopic view of the world, but God who can see all things and knows all things will do what is best for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are we're thankful for your word because it teaches us about your character and your plan. Father, we pray that as we read your word that your spirit would fill us and continue to develop and allow our faith to flourish and our relationship with you to get stronger day by day. We pray, I pray for my church family who is here that have heard this message that your spirit would, would do what it needs to so that we might all learn to live faithfully in such a difficult time. In your name we pray. Amen.